All right, guys, this is Mike Milner with Eat to Perform, and I am joined today by my co-host, Dr. Brad Dieter. What's going on, Doc? Not much, just uh, taking some time out of doing some lab work to get some actual fun work done for a little bit. Yeah, what, what's new in the lab these days? Anything exciting? No, science is still like chewing glass, so... <laughs> Uh, still, still getting grant rejections and paper rejections left and right. So we'll uh, we'll just keep plowing ahead. Yep, pushing through. Uh, so I'm super excited about our guest today. Uh, for those of you who have not heard the Mind Pump podcast, you need to pause this right now and go listen to pretty much every episode, like maybe a thousand hours worth of podcasts to get through, and then come back to this. But uh, we have Sal De Stefano, who is one of the hosts, and they are doing some awesome work over there, putting out great content. Um, so definitely check out the Mind Pump podcast. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Sal on. What's going on, Sal? Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having us on. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how do you feel about the uh, the Howard Stern of Fitness like moniker? You know, it's funny. When we do, – I, do I like it? Um, yeah, I mean, geez, Howard Stern is, uh, when it comes to radio, was anybody more successful than him? Um, and his, his skills in interviewing, all that. He, he was definitely abrasive, that's for sure. And that's probably why we got that nickname. Um, when we first started the show, me and my co-hosts, I mean, it was, there were two things that we were adamant about. One was that we wouldn't um, compromise our integrity for anything. And the second thing was that we would not, uh, pull any punches, um, you know, the, especially in our industry, it's so controlled by, you know, these large, mostly supplement companies, but you've got magazine companies and you've got, you know, uh, you know, apparel companies and all that stuff. And they control so much of the, the media that goes out that people are afraid to criticize um, certain aspects of, uh, of fitness or the fitness industry. And we weren't bound by any of that, so uh, and which which was a big plus, and so we out guns blazing, and um, it seems to have resonated with people. Um, so, you know, that's a nick that nickname. We 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 appreciate it. Yeah, I think it absolutely fits. I mean, I love the fact that you know at first listen, you kind of come across like, all right, these are just three bros who are going to talk about typical bro stuff, and then you hit the audience with like mindfulness and meditation and all these things that seem to come out of left field, but it's, it's so easily digestible and relatable and uh, you give, you know, good quality information, but then the entertainment factor um, is huge as well. So um, how did, you know, tell us a little bit about, I guess, how you got started and then, you know, how mind pump kind of evolved. You know, uh, you know, even before I get into that, you made the, you know, the comment about, um, you know, sounding like, like bros or easily digestible information. You know, two people that I uh, respect tremendously that were influential to me who were not in the fitness world are Carl Sagan. Um, we, we know who that is, right? The physicist and uh, uh, Milton Friedman, the economist. And the reason why they made such an, an impact uh, to me I mean, they have great information, but besides that, they were both, uh, they both had a certain amount of charisma and the way they communicated their knowledge was so effective that they were able to reach beyond, you know, the echo chamber that we tend to get stuck in. You know, when you're presenting 
And that's the thing in fitness. You get a lot of, there's a lot of brilliant minds in fitness. Um, and we try to get them on our show quite a bit. The problem is they don't, they don't communicate it in a way where the average person is going to hear it, digest it and, you know, assimilate it. And so the problem is that the ones that are, you know, the charismatic ones, the ones that are, uh, able to communicate really effectively are the idiots, you know, the, 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 the people that, you know, they look shredded and, you know, they look great. They're on the cover magazines or they sound great. And then they give like horrible information. We would hear this all the time. It was just, it was terrible. And so we wanted to create a show where we were able to entertain, but then inform almost on accident. Like you're listening, you're having a good time, but then we get to hit you with some, some good information and introduce you to people that we think need to be um, heard. Um, as far as, you know, getting started, I've been, professionally in fitness uh for over 20 years now i started as a personal trainer very very young by the time i was 19 um, i was managing uh and grand opening health clubs uh for 24-hour fitness and at 21 um i bought and owned my own uh wellness uh facility which included like personal training massage acupuncture um we had i had someone who did you know hormone testing and holistic type stuff and a lot of things that um, at the time when I was 21, I kind of, I didn't scoff at, but it was something that I was like, okay, whatever, you're going to do your thing and I'll do my thing. And I, you know, I'll respect it because people seem to get value from it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the fitness guy. But, you know, after doing that for about 12 years and working with them and working with clients and having clients working with all of us, I saw so much benefit in some of these things that I didn't even really give credence to um, that that now I realize it's really part of the the whole picture um, you know uh, you know when it comes to health and wellness I think we do a really good job of dissecting the body and separating things out which which is there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that that's how we learn that's how we become specialized I mean if you if you have a problem with your, your brain you want to see a you know a scientist that or a doctor that specializes in neurobiology um, and they, they maybe have very little knowledge on other systems of the body, and that's okay. But the, 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 there is a, a problem with that in the sense that we forget that there's a hu it's a human organism. And if one part of the body is being affected by something, whether external or internal, the rest of the body aims to adapt or, or change accordingly, because that's what your body's always trying to do. So if you, if you have bad thoughts, um, we can now measure changes in, you know, stress hormones and certain chemicals that go up and down in the body. And if you keep that up long enough, your body tries to adapt by down-regulating receptors and up-regulating other receptors. And, you know, that's just off your thoughts, you know, or if obviously what you eat and what you do with your exercise and all these other things. And then we have studies that show, you know, these, uh, you know, these, these places in the world called blue zones where people live a long time. And what, the number one thing we find in common is they all have these tight inner circles, these tight, close networks, which you would never, you know, you'd, you'd never think that has anything to do with longevity, but it, it obviously, it does. It's, it's, it's the one consistent thing with all these blue zones in the world. So, um, you know, that's, that was the mentality that I developed through, uh, you know, through my years in fitness and uh, it kind of brought me and, you know, to where I am today and, you know, Adam and, and Justin, my two co-hosts kind of followed a similar path. They've both been in, in the industry almost as long as I have. 
You know, you just brought up something super interesting. Uh, this is going to be a little bit more of a, a meta question, but you know, you basically just painted like your whole life arc uh, in terms of the fitness industry. And you know, when you start out, I think a lot of us very start out in a very similar spot where we're very focused on a singular thing and think we have a lot of knowledge and are very closed-minded to a lot of these other pieces to what gets people to where they need to be. And I think one of the big things I know like I've learned over my career and also seeing clients as they progress through their journey is the more experience they have and the more they learn and the more open-minded they are, that's really one of the things that starts to differentiate people who are ultimately successful from people who aren't. Can you talk a little bit, you know, maybe about what are the things you did along the way to start to, you know, kind of step outside yourself and kind of open your mind to a lot of these new things. Cause I think a lot of us come in and we start something, we kind of see some results doing one thing and we get really closed minded. So how did you kind of step through some of those hurdles and start to look beyond some of those really proximate causes? Well, you know, I've been, uh, I've been so blessed to have worked with uh, and met some incredibly intelligent people. And many of them were my clients when I owned my wellness facility, um, literally two miles down the road, or maybe even a mile down the road, uh, is a Good Samaritan Hospital, and I trained one of the uh, one of the doctors there uh, who worked there. He's actually an oncologist, and after training him, he started referring the other doctors and surgeons, and so I had this this client base that was people who were incredibly just brilliant, intelligent people. Actually, I love doing it. One of the things about about uh, smart people is they tend to be smart about a lot of different things. And so it's very interesting working with some of these individuals. And I remember I had a, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the individuals I worked with for a very short time was a pain specialist. And, you know, he talked about how sometimes when people come in with chronic pain and they can't find a cause, which believe it or not happens more often than not, um, many times people will have this chronic problem and they'll do MRIs, they'll test, they'll look, look at all, you know, function. And I've even encountered that as a trainer where I'm trying to correct muscle, you know, imbalances. And I'm like, God, everything looks good, but you still hurt. And, mm -hmm. you know, and he said, you know, a lot of times people respond by, with psychotherapy or by giving them, you know, an SSRI, you know, an antidepressant drug. And that kind of blew me away. And, and we talked about it, uh, you know, for a, for a little while. And he said, you know, some people think that pain that a lot of our pain is psychosomatic, that it may not have necessarily a physical cause or that the psychosomatic cause then leads to a physical cause. For example, if I'm, you know, depressed or stressed out and I, you know, I start to feel pain in my lower back, that will change the way I move as a result. And now because I'm moving a particular way and creating these poor recruitment patterns that that's going to cause pain. So that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. And what I started doing right around that time is whenever people would come to me, you know, I was a trainer and I consider myself an expert in fitness and pretty knowledgeable on correctional exercise. So whenever somebody would come to me with, you know, pain or dysfunction, that was my tool. My tool was correctional exercise. Just like if, you know, you go to a, a you know, a, 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 um, a surgeon uh, and you have knee pain, they might recommend or they're likely to recommend knee surgery because that's what their expertise is in. And so I thought to myself, you know, I, I want to start referring people to other modalities and I want to start working with a lot of other people because 
I know I don't have all the answers, and but I do want to have the resources. I want to be a maven. I want to be able to have people go to these different people, and, and, and maybe all of us together can help these clients out. And it was extremely successful. You know, clients stayed with us for a very long time, found tremendous success. Uh, they became very consistent with their with their fitness, which is always a problem as a personal trainer. I mean, even the most successful trainers, you know, if they stop training a client because they move or whatever, a large percentage of them just stop working out. And so, you know, I found this, this just tremendous success with this type of approach. And so I really just started asking a lot of questions and started working with a lot of different people in different modalities and tried to see if I could understand things from different perspectives. I had an acupuncturist uh, who rented space, for example, in my facility. And at the time, acupuncture to me was, the way I looked at it was a little bit like, okay, this is a little woo-woo. Um, you know, they, they talk about, you know, chi and Chinese and your energy flowing through your body and blockages and all this other stuff. And it just didn't, it just didn't make any sense to me. And yet we would have people come in who would get success from it. I'd see changes in the way people would move many times from getting treatment and so I started thinking like how can I start to understand maybe what's going on but from a different angle because they're explaining it from a Chinese medicine angle which really doesn't jive well with you know Western medicine or, or our understanding of the body you know if I if I talk about chi like you know where's the where's the where's the evidence for that or there's no scientific method to prove that type of thing but then I started thinking about you know things like referred pain um, you know if you sometimes if you have pain in your gallbladder you'll feel it in a place that is not near your gallbladder. If you get a heart attack, you feel it in your left arm or all these other things. And I said, well, I wonder if, you know, stimulating these different spots of the body with acupuncture is working in a similar fashion. And so it, by being open-minded and trying to understand things, you know, uh, differently, it helped me, I don't know, look at things a little bit differently, I guess. Um, not necessarily, I'm not going to necessarily accept everything, but there's a lot, uh, there's a lot more to things than I think we like to believe. And if you're open-minded, you tend to find um, that your paradigm was a little off. Um, and there's nothing better than having your paradigm shattered. Yeah, absolutely. And what was that process like going from, you know, selling people from being a personal trainer, then you kind of have this transition, you're, you're hearing new uh, kind of philosophies and understanding things on a different level to then try and sell them on the you know, the overall big picture, the long game, when you have constant information being jammed down their throats with, you know, every 30-day challenge, six-week, you know, fix, or, uh, you know, Joey Instabro is trying to, you know, get you on their program. Uh, and there's just that constant, you know, bombarding of, of poor information. So what, what does that look like for you trying to present um, more of a whole, you know, wellness approach to somebody that, you know, we're going to go at this from, years and we're going to talk about sleep and we're going to talk about meditation and acupuncture and these different therapies um so kind of walk us through that a little bit well you know um you got to start off slow first off um when you're when you're presenting information and you're you're walking people slowly towards uh you know optimizing their health or slowly towards some of the answers uh, that are going to help them with their problems. And the second thing is I'm a good salesman. I'm a really good salesman. So I can, I can usually communicate ideas really, really well. But you got to start slow. You have to take someone. If I take someone, let's just use fitness, for example. If somebody comes to me and they want to lose 30 pounds, now I could sit there and I could break down everything and list everything they need to do. All right, here's your, here's your food from now on. Here's your macronutrients. 
here's your activity. This is what you need to do with your lift weights. You need to sleep this many hours. You need to stop, you know, consuming these particular, you know, soft drinks. And, you know, I can do that. I can give somebody all that, but it's not going to work. It's way, way, way too much all at once. You got to take people there slowly. So I would start with things like, you know, someone would come see me and rather than take food away, I would add food. Like, okay, you know, I don't want you to change your diet, but what I want you to do is include three servings of vegetables every single day. And we'd start with that. And then the next thing may be, okay, the only thing you're going to drink is water. So don't drink anything else. No juice, no, uh, you know, no soda. Let's just stick with water. And little by little, I'd move them there. Same thing with that exercise. Like, okay, you're going to see me twice a week. That's all I want you to do from now on. You're just going to see me for twice a week. We're going to correct muscle imbalances. I'm going to make you feel stronger. We're going to improve your recruitment patterns. And what ends up happening over time, believe it or not, is these people start asking for more. Before I know it, you know, two months, three months down the road, the client tells me, hey, I want to work out another day a week. You know, what do you think I should do? Should I go hiking? Or, wow, you know, I feel really good eating those vegetables now. Do you think I should start cutting other things? Or, or usually they do it on their own. Like I stopped eating, you know, uh, the bagel in the morning or I stopped eating so much sugar or whatever because I'm feeling better from, you know, what you've been telling me to do. So it's got to be a slow process of taking people through, you know, from where they're at. You can only, people are only going to be as if, it's, you know, they're, they're going to meet you where they're at. Uh, that's the bottom line. You can't force anybody to be any, anywhere else. So, you know, I actually had a challenge with this early on in my career where, um, you know, I had the mentality when I first started as a trainer that uh, if you're not going to do what I tell you, then it's a, waste of, it's a waste of my time and your time. So people would come see me and I'd be like, okay, you need to train with me at least three days a week. If we don't do three, three days a week, it's a waste of your time. And, you know, I had one lady come to me and, uh, you know, I, I would, you know, test her body fat and do all that. And her body fat wasn't changing. And she was complaining to me and that her body fat wasn't changing. And I knew it was because her diet was off and she would lie to me about her diet. And one day I sat down with her and I, I had what I, what I call a come to Jesus talk. And I told her, listen, you're going to, you cannot, it's, it's humanly impossible to gain body fat if you're eating less calories and you're burning. If that's, if you're doing that, we need to go take you to, I think I told her, let's take you to, you know, uh, some of the top scientists in the world because you've just broken the laws of thermodynamics. And I was a dick and she cried and she never came back. And, you know, I, I, I had my own, you know, moment there because I realized, like, I didn't help her at all. Like, that made my ego feel good, but it didn't do anything for her. And she was better off just coming to see me two days a week, even though her diet was off. Like, she was at least doing something and she just wasn't ready. So I, I really had to change my approach, and I think it's far more effective to do it that way than the whole kitchen sink. So that's what I that's what I would do with clients, at least. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful message overall. Just uh, you know, people tend to have that mentality of either everything's perfect, or you know, why am I even doing any of this? And obviously, you know, there's a lot of in the middle there. Uh, so what? Kind of assess for me since you started out in kind of that big box gym uh, arena. What, how, how do we kind of fix that message that they're putting out there? Because I, I have a funny story uh, that happened just the other day. Um, I work out personally at a big box gym, and they sent an email blast out to all the members, and and basically the email was like, "Did you know that what you eat?" before and after you train is more important than the actual training itself. And um, right off the bat, like anything that starts, did you know, and big bold, like, you know, the bullshit meter goes up, but um, pretty much 
what they're trying to do is they're they're talking about you know well we want you to eat real food however most of us don't have the time for that um, so I've come up with this we've developed this program and we call it you know optimize in 45 and it's 45 minutes before you train you take this supplement and 45 minutes after you train you take this supplement we're gonna get everything that you need um, you know out of your workout to get you the results as fast as possible um, obviously the yep. idea is they're trying to sell supplements and I know um, from listening to you uh, on the mind pump pod that that's kind of similar to the message that that you heard um, in your time uh, so how do we get around that obviously it's it's a business decision that that the gyms are making because it brings in revenue but um, is it that you know, I don't want to believe that it's just they're shitty people and they're trying to manipulate, you know, and, and get money out of people without giving them good information. Um, I'd like to believe that, you know, somewhere there's just um, a lack of really knowledge. But, um, you know, I don't know, give me give me your assessment since you have a lot of experience in that. Well, um, you know, when it comes to big box gyms, first off, the entire model is based on you not using the their facility. It's not based on in the gym. It's, 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 it, the whole model is completely, it's, that's how it's designed. So you go to a gym, you know, 30,000 square foot big gym, you pay your membership fee and it's, you know, 30 bucks a month and then you don't use the gym and that's what they bank on. If everybody showed up who had a membership, they'd go out of business. The fire, you know, they, they, would, they would violate several fire codes because there'd be too many people. So that's the first thing. It's completely designed around that. The second thing is most of the information that they will push out in fitness in general, in the fitness industry in, in general, but in particular at these gyms and whatever, it's, it's designed to make a case. It's a classic sales tool. They're going to make a case based on either a component of a study or something that now everybody thinks is common knowledge, like you got to eat after you work out somehow, somewhere along the lines. That became like dogma. And they'll make that case. Once they make that case, they know the likelihood that you're going to purchase a powder or bar is much higher. So I'll give you another example. Um, the, if you look at the pre-workout uh, section of supplements, you know, pre-workout supplements didn't exist 15 years ago. It wasn't a thing. Uh, when I, you know, 15 years ago, it wasn't like you didn't have these powders that you you know that are supposed to increase your pump and whatever that you drink before your workout to maximize your workout but you know and i think it was gaspari who uh was the first guy to really come up with this and it was brilliant marketing and it was like look we're going to attach something to the workout because that's what people are going to do and once you make it part of their ritual we're going to sell tons of products and oh yeah let's fill it full of stimulants because that feels really good and it's going to get people to feel something right away and boom now you've got this pre-workout uh, you know, market. When it comes to post-workout, you know, some, you know, science will show that eating something right after you work out will replenish glycogen faster than if you don't. Okay, so that's fine. There's not, that's great. That doesn't mean eating post-workout is uh, superior to eating later on. Unless you plan on working out two or three hours later, it's not really going to make a difference. If we eat much later, you're still going to replenish glycogen. Uh, it's not going to, it doesn't make that big of a difference. Some studies show it makes a tiny difference. When I say tiny, I mean it makes a difference in measurable things like, I don't know, protein synthesis or mTOR or whatever, you know. But I want to see studies that show 
this group over here, you know, took a shake post-workout. This group over here ate food three hours later. Who built more muscle? Who got better results? And, and those studies have been done, and they've shown nothing. It doesn't do anything for you. Uh, so at best, it's splitting hairs. At worst, it does absolutely nothing for you. But you have to, you know, keep in mind these uh, these major companies, these massive supplement companies are the ones that make the magazines and they're the ones that, you know, make the money. So they're the ones putting out the information. Another good, good example is the the myth that was accepted as, as uh, uh, you know, common knowledge that eating small meals was superior to eating less, uh, less frequent meals. So eat small meals throughout the day versus eating, you know, two or three large meals. And we've all heard this, right? Speeds up your metabolism, builds more muscle. And it was all based on science that showed that when you eat something, you get this thermic effect, which is true. You do get a thermic effect when you eat, but the thermic effect is the same cumulatively if, if you have six small meals or if you have the same amount of food over the course of two large meals. It doesn't make a difference. But they took that and they said, oh, cool, thermic effect. If you have it all day long, you speed your metabolism up. And Now, why would they promote that? Why would they promote small meals? Well, if I'm sold on the idea that eating six meals a day is going to burn more body fat and build more muscle, then I'm going to go for that. And, oh, by the way, it's very difficult to do that because that means I have to meal prep six meals. So why don't I eat my normal two or three meals and then have two or three bars? You know, so they make money on that end too. So that's a big problem uh, that we have. Most of the information that's out there is, is, is geared towards that and not towards really getting people uh, to a point where, you know, they have a lifestyle of, of health and wellness. The, the, the reality is, the hard reality is that there is no better coach uh, for you than yourself, your body, the signals of your body, listening to your body. The problem is we don't know how to listen to our body. We've, we've been taught to ignore it. Um, and the, and the, the information that we're getting fed to us teaches us to ignore it even further. You know, eat, you know, force feed yourself this and restrict yourself here and, uh, you know, uh, train your ass off really, really hard all the time. That's all that counts. It's intensity, even though you may feel like shit and your, you know, your, your HPA axis is all, you know, out of whack and you've got stress hormones all over the place or, you know, all these different things. It's, we're taught so, so much to ignore these signals that uh, it's, it's no wonder we're, you know, we're in the state that we're in. So you just brought up a really interesting question. And the fact that most people don't know their bodies and don't listen to them. And we, we talk about this a lot, but how much of that do you think is because people don't have the right understanding of the timeline of how things should happen? Right. I think so many people are focused on what happens today and tomorrow, and they're not really thinking about, okay, over the next six, 12, 18, 24 months, how should my body be adapting to these chronic changes? And how much of that do you think, that is one of the big reasons people don't really understand or pay attention to the signals their body's giving them because they're so focused on the acute that they're not thinking about what these long-term pieces of your body and how it actually works are. Oh, it's, I mean, pe most people are in a state of unconscious uh, incompetence. Okay. So they don't know that they don't know. It's, it's as if, it's as if somebody was born with one eye sewed shut. And you're, you, you tell them, you know, their entire life, listen, if you open your other eye, you'll have, you'll be able to see out of it. And they don't believe you. They've never seen out of it. And then, you, you know, you, you cut the threads, open their eye up, and all of a sudden, whoa, you know, they're, now they know what they've missed. People literally don't know what they don't know to the point where, you know, to your point, there's even acute signals that people don't realize they shouldn't have. Like, 
oh, I always get a headache every day, so I just take ibuprofen every day. Like that's a that's an acute signal, like something may be off. Or you know, I the when I ask people about their sleep, you know, oh, I, I wake up at two a.m. every day and you know, I have a tough time falling back asleep. Or yeah, I have you know I have you know uh, heartburn, but it's, I treat it with you know you know Prilosec or something like that. Like we don't know to even. Uh, we don't know what we don't know. We don't even know what to look for when it comes to these signals. Here's a, this is a simple one, okay? I love it when I tell people, when, when I talk to people and I'll, I'll talk to them about fasting. And, of course, fasting is not for everybody, but if somebody's very healthy and if their relationship with food is not restrictive in the sense that they're not on the, on the anorexic side or the bulimic side, then I'll sometimes have people fast for a day or two because I want them to feel hungry for the first time in their lives. You know, people, when I say that, people are like, what are you talking about? I'm hungry every single day. You're not. You, you have cravings. It's totally different than hunger. Uh, the human body evolved to go without food for long periods of time, and now we have the science to show that doing that occasionally is actually very, very good for us. It's actually a, it's an, it's another operating system. Some of the, Dr. Walter Longo, who's a leading researcher in this area, calls it a separate, second operating system that we need to tap into for optimal health. And we probably fasted all the time, uh, you know, through most of human evolution. People don't really know what it's like to be hungry. So you, all, you have them fast, and all of a sudden they feel what hunger feels like. And then on top of it, the way that food tastes to them changes. Their, 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 their senses tend to heighten. You know, you have someone cut out sugar, and then they eat a fruit, and all of a sudden that fruit tastes like a piece of candy. Um, so people just don't know what they don't know and taking them through that process is it, it can be difficult and it takes a lot of time but once you start to get them there you find some interesting things I'll give you another example I had a client that I worked with uh, recently and every morning uh, she would have a bagel for breakfast she also told me that she had bloat by the end of the you know by midday she kind of felt bloated and she's been like this for years and it was just oh this is just how my body is and we were trying to kind of figure out, you know, why she was feeling this bloat. And so I'm, hel I'm helping her kind of connect the dots. And she started to realize, and at first I mentioned, you know, maybe it's the bagel that you're having in the morning. She's like, oh, no way. I've been having the bagel, the bagel for like years. I've been eating that for like five years. Like, why would that be making me bloated? And I'm like, well, how long have you been experiencing this? She's like, oh, I guess right around five years. So I, she eliminated the, 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 the bagel and she noticed the bloat went down. She ate the bagel again and the bloat came back. She now made a connection because she still loved the taste of the bagel. It tasted really good. She really enjoyed it. It was something she was, you know, really connected to. You know, people get with their food, right? Try and eliminate something that they have all the time. And it's like, don't take away my whatever. She started connecting the bagel to the feeling of bloat later on in the day, which now changed her relationship to the bagel to the point where she no longer desired it or craved it. That same individual, I started having her introduce vegetables into her diet. She ate no vegetables whatsoever. So now I'm having her eat vegetables. She hates the taste of them. And I'm, help, I'm helping her. I'm telling her, look, I want you to see how you feel through eating these vegetables. Connect, to, connect the dots to how you feel right after, how you feel during, how you feel the day after, you know, the day after and the week after, and all these different things. After a, a few weeks, she was, you know, she was telling me, like, you know, I feel really good when I eat vegetables like I just feel more energy my digestion's way better my skin my skin seems better I feel a lot better well now that she's connecting these feelings to the vegetables that she's eating within a couple months she found that she started to crave and desire these vegetables she had changed her relationship 
to that food to the point now where it's one of her favorite things to eat. And so this is, this is the process of becoming more aware, learning how to read your body. And once you do that, it, it actually directs you to make decisions that tend to be better for you. And, you know, when I talk about this to people, sometimes they get confused and think, well, that, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm just going to eat perfect all the time? Like I can never have pizza or a beer or cake or whatever. And my response to them is no, because those things may have value as well. You know, if I'm with my buddies and, you know, I, I haven't seen my friends for a couple of weeks and we're bonding, we're having great conversation and I'm having beer, the beer may physically not be good for me, but the benefit I'm getting from that beer is I'm getting loose and I'm connecting with my friends and having a great time, which is also important for my wellness. So I'm still making a good decision at that point. Now, of course, I'm not going to drink it every single day because then it starts to outweigh the, you know, the negatives, outweigh those positives. And, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm drinking at home by myself, which isn't, good, which isn't the same at all. But you kind of, you kind of get the, you get the drift, right? And I think, mm-hmm. I think that's really the answer to, the health epidemic that we have because we're people are so unaware. I mean, look at the food that we eat all the time. Look at the hyper palatable processed food that people, you know, that a majority of people's diets are made up of are these, are these foods that are engineered. Um, I mean, so most of the money that goes into food goes into creating this, this hyper palatable food to where, it's got the perfect smell, the perfect sound when you crunch into it, the feel, of course, the taste, the aftertaste, the, the color. Like all these things are factored to hijack your natural systems of things like satiety. So you actually will overeat uh, because your systems are gone haywire. They, they didn't evolve with these kinds of crazy combinations of tastes and textures and flavors and all these other things. So it's no wonder we're all fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I think probably in the last 10 years, the only real dieting book that has been of, of any real value is probably uh, Stefan Guyanet's book that just came out, The Hungry Brain, where he actually, you know, basically walked through all the science that you just described. But, you know, one of the things that you just really, you really hit on, and I don't want us to gloss over it because it's such a big thing, is from a lot of our experience, I feel like this is kind of the paradigm that happens to most people, right? They kind of go through their most of their lives, you know, not very mindful. They don't really pay attention to what they're eating or, or what they're doing with their body. Then they wake up one day and they go, okay, I've got, I've got a health or I've got a weight problem. And then they just find the most short-term drastic solution that's going to get them some sort of, you know, objective external response. They do that for a while and then they stop and then they set up this cyclical habit instead of actually looking at this full context of, of what all these behaviors are about. So, I mean, like what has been your experience kind of looking at it from that lens and how do you go about, you know, trying to have the conversation with people of, look, this is a long game and these are all the things that you've done in the past. How do you get people's mind wrapped around what that's going to entail? I mean, I know we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, you kind of take these steps with people. Um, but yeah. do you even like, do you even address the, the long-term piece up front or do you just kind of Absolutely. try to coax them into it by just bringing them one step at a time or kind of what's your approach? Well, no, we talk, so um, it's, we'll talk about weight loss. Okay. Weight loss is a good one because uh, that's the, 
that's probably the biggest goal or the most common goal people have is they want to lose weight. And uh, I, I, like to, I, I like to talk to people about how the body adapts and how the body is an adaptation machine. And in the context of weight loss, when you are doing it very quickly through, because what is a typical you know, formula if someone's trying to lose weight real fast, right? They'll restrict calories very, very low, and they will uh, do tons of cardio or tons of activity. So they're burning lots of calories manually, and I call it manually because uh, there are ways that you can teach your body to burn more cal calories automatically, which we'll get to in just a second. But most people will do the manual part, like, okay, I want to lose weight. I'm going to do, you know, at 30 minutes of cardio every single day, or I'm going to do an hour of cardio every day. I'm going to cut my calories way down because I want to just lose this 30 pounds. And initially, they do get a pretty dramatic response. Their body starts to lose a lot of weight. But what people don't realize and what I try to explain to them is, your body adapts to that by becoming more efficient. Now, it doesn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's your body's doing exactly what it evolved to do. But in the context of modern lifestyle, it is a bad thing because if your body adapts to become more efficient, in essence, what it's doing is it's slowing down its metabolism. Your body will reduce the amount of calories that it burns both during activity and at rest to the point where you can get it to the point where you can have, I've had clients, I've had these bikini competitors who do these competitions and they'll do two or three in a row and they'll come to me, you know, a 130 pound bikini competitor who is eating a thousand calories a day, doing two hours of cardio every single day. And if she has anything over a thousand calories or if she cuts her cardio, even the slightest bit, she gains body fat right away. Her body has become so, has become so efficient that uh, anything over that, she just stores body fat. So I explain that to people. I also explain that if you keep that up long enough, you, you're, you know, because you do create a stress response through doing that, you, you can cause things like, uh, you know, mild forms of cortisol resistance where your body stops responding to cortisol. Now you need more coffee. Uh, you've got, you know, downregulated receptors to cortisol. You're drinking all this coffee. You're trying to drive yourself even harder. And you can get to a point of burnout, which is really, really nasty. You, you also can look at, like, you guys are familiar with the show, The Biggest Loser? Mm -hmm. They'll take these people and just, that's what they do. They beat the crap out of them and restrict their calories. And they lose tons of weight. And their metabolisms are just so, so efficient afterwards or so slow that now these people have to eat these really low-calorie diets just to keep the weight off. So I tell them, look, the short game is we beat the crap out of you, cut your calories, you lose a bunch of weight, but now you're stuck with a metabolism that's running off of very little calories that requires you to do a lot of activity just to, keep that, just to keep that weight off, which is a very difficult position to be in long term. Or we could do the long game. We can focus on resistance training. Resistance training teaches the body to prioritize strength and muscle, the side effect of which is more calories burned all the time. We can take your calories, we can take your food intake and slowly bring it down, but in between this calorie deficit, there's going to be times where I'm actually going to put you in a slight surplus to try and offset this efficiency adaptation that starts to happen so that when you do lose the weight, rather than being stuck at eating 1,200 calories a day, I've now got you running on 2,000 calories a day, and you're only working out you know, three days a week in the gym, much more sustainable for modern lifestyle. And when I present it that way to people, they 
they, they, they tend to get it. They tend to say, okay, I want that. Like I want to, I, I don't care if I go longer because I want to be able to, you know, eat more and not gain body fat. And I think in, you know, the context of modern lifestyle, that's really the approach. That's got to be the approach because food is so accessible and our lifestyles are so sedentary that we can't rely on this eating, you know, super low calories and being active all the time. It's very difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you just, you basically just brought up our core message. And I think there's a few things there too, that a lot of people don't, don't really fully understand is the adaptations your body goes through when you're eating a thousand calories a day versus eating 3000 calories a day are it's such substantially different levels in terms of, you know, the improvement that your body makes when you're weight stable at 3000 calories versus at 1000 calories, you really, I mean, they almost don't belong in the same conversation, right? Just because of the types of load your body's taking and the kind of responses your body's taking at 3000 calories and the long-term adaptations that occur with, you know, bone tissue, muscle tissue, your metabolism, all those sorts of things versus at the other end of the spectrum, it's, it's just such a different equation for people's long-term success. Yeah, I, I'm just looking to, I want to set people up for long-term success. Now, that's not to say that there aren't benefits from going really low calories sometimes or even fasting. There's tremendous benefits from it. And constantly feeding yourself lots of calories or protein, even if you can burn it, and even if you are lean, you know, consistently is not really a good idea either, right? There's, there's, there's evidence to suggest that, you know, consistent high-protein intake may accelerate things like aging and depending on the context may be pro-cancer in certain, you know, uh, in certain respects. And, you know, we do want longevity as well, but there is this, you know, we also, we got to look at like what's going to work long-term for most people and what works better for most, for most people is let's get their metabolism faster, have them build a little bit more muscle so that they don't have to devote so much time in the gym and they can eat a little bit more because again, Food is so accessible. You know, it's it's hard to expect people to eat these super low calories all the time uh, when you're surrounded by hyper palatable, accessible food everywhere you turn. And I think, uh, kind of on the flip side of things, we deal with a lot of people who are kind of the gym killer mentality, where it's like you know beast mode, go hard or go home type of thing. Uh, we have a lot of CrossFitters in our group. Um, we can we can talk about that if you want to you know, shit on CrossFit a little bit, uh, but we kind of have to get that message across in a different way about training smart, just kind of the same way that, you know, people want to be told exactly what to do. And there's a lot of gray area and there's a lot, a lot of times the answer is kind of, it depends on, you know, where you're coming from and where you're at right now. And like you said before, meeting people where they're at. Um, so talk about kind of the on the other side of things with, from a training perspective, getting people out of that mindset that, you know, more is better that, you know, the goal of a workout should be to not be able to walk the next day and, and that kind of mindset. Yeah. It's, uh, your workouts are, and, and there, there, there can be some benefits to testing your mental capacity for, you know, hard work and strenuous, you know, whatever, and, you know, beating yourself up. I could see how there's sometimes a, a mental, you know, uh, benefit from that every once in a while. And when I say every once in a while, I mean every once in a while. It, it, it can be pretty awesome to test your limits 
uh, just, just, just to realize that you're a lot tougher and stronger than you think you are. Now, that being said, for the, for the vast majority of time to work out, what you're trying to do with your workout is to send a signal for your body to adapt. You want your body to adapt any way that you're trying to, to direct it. And if that signal is right and the environment is right, your body will adapt. It will change. And somewhere along the line, we, we thought that your, we had to force the body to adapt. We have to beat the crap out of it because it doesn't want to build muscle. It doesn't want to get stronger, which is absolute bullshit. Um, it wants to if the signal is right. You know, if, if, and I, I love using this, this argument with people. So I'll, have, uh, you know, I'll have friends that are bodybuilders and they'll tell me like, no, you need to eat you know, two grams of protein per pound of body weight. You need to stuff your face with food or you need to beat the crap out of yourself. And I'll say, look, I could take somebody, have them not change anything about the workout or their diet. I'll give them extra testosterone and they'll build muscle without anything else. And all I did was is I sent a different signal. This one was hormonal. Well, your workout is another signal uh, that you send to your body. And if you send the right signal, if it's appropriate, your body will change and adapt. And we also forget that there's a lot more systems that are impacted by our workouts than just our muscles. I mean, muscles, you know, you work out, you damage them. And, you know, the theory goes, you damage them, the body repairs that damage and then overcompensates so that next time the same intensity, same weight, whatever, doesn't create damage anymore. So your body's attempting to become tougher. But we don't realize that one of the other systems that is impacted through intense exercise is the central nervous system. And the central nervous system is as or more important than muscles when it comes to, you know, some things that you need to consider with your training. And one of the analogies I like to use is the central nervous system is like an amplifier and your muscles are like speakers. You can have the biggest, baddest speakers on the planet, but if your amplifier is crap or broken, you're not going to get any sound out of those speakers. And so training both is very important. And the central nervous system can take much longer to adapt and recover than the muscles from a super, super intense workout. If it was all about getting sore and recovering, then what you could do is you could just go beat the crap out of yourself in the gym and then just stay in bed all week and then come back the following week. If you try that, I guarantee you'll lose strength and lose muscle. I mean, you could, you could beat yourself up in the gym super, super intensely, make yourself throw up, go lay down in bed, don't move, be bedridden for a week so that you can recover, go back to the gym the following week, and you'll be weaker. You'll be weaker, weaker and, less, and have less muscle. So it's really about sending the right signals, understanding what those signals are, understanding the type of adaptation you're looking for, and training smarter. And sometimes that means hard workouts. Sometimes that means workouts that are less hard. Sometimes that means you increase the frequency of your training, and other times it means you increase the intensity or the volume. But if you, if you look at it from that standpoint, uh, you'll, enter, you'll, you'll get to a place where your body will improve on a pretty regular basis until you start to hit that upper limit of your, of your genetic potential. That, that analogy yeah. is spot on with the uh, amplifier and speakers. Uh, yeah, that, that's perfect. Um, Doc, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, you know, the interesting thing about that is all of these signals, they have feedback that we can look at, right? You can actually see how your nervous system is responding by checking your resting heart rate, right? You can, I mean, you can tell your muscle feedback based on how sore you're feeling and things like that. But you also, for your nervous system, you have you know, signals that come out. You can see how that's going, your immune system, your stress levels. I mean, all of these things, if you start paying attention to them, and you start keeping some data, you can actually see exactly 
how your training and your food and your recovery is actually affecting the way your body is responding to these signals. Oh, if you if you if you look at optimizing the 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 whole you know human organism, if you look at the whole thing, and you think to yourself, I'm going to optimize the whole thing. If when it's optimized, you will be in a state of of optimal performance. You'll be in a state of optimal adaptations where your body will burn body fat, build muscle, where you're you know you'll 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 adapt to you know, changes in temperature or to stress or whatever, because you're optimizing all these different systems in your body. So really, if you want to like maximize your results in the gym, you want to be in an optimal state of, of health. There's, if, if, it's, if you're suboptimal, you're not, you're not going to get the best results or at least not for long, not for long at all. So, you know, it's, it's one of those myths, you know, where I'm just, you know, I know I'm tired, I'm beat up, but I'm going to go beat my body up anyway, because I need to build muscle well you've actually done the opposite now you probably set your body back a little bit you know maybe what you need to do is go in the gym and train much lighter or do some full range of motion mobility type of work and now you've actually you know moved your body forward and you're now going to get better results as a result of that even though the training wasn't this intense muscle breakdown type of workout yeah i think that kind of circles back to something we touched on earlier about people not really knowing how to listen to those signals and, and how to, you know, understand what their body is communicating with them. I mean, I had a, a client who reached out to me, like I, I did, you know, this intense workout and I feel great today. Yesterday I did this workout. Now I feel great today, but I'm not sore. Did I do something wrong? And I had to have that talk. Like the, the purpose of that training session is to make you feel better, not to make you feel worse. Uh, and it's funny how, you know, sometimes those those messages and those signals get crossed and we're kind of, you know, in this environment where it's more difficult to to really listen to what our body's telling you. Like, you know, you said in the beginning, that's that's the best teacher. You know, our bodies are the best teacher we have. So um, what type of methods do you do? Uh, I know you mentioned a couple before uh, about, you know, connecting the dots between how somebody's feeling and what they're doing. Um, I will have, you know, clients sometimes journal uh, just like certain things, how they, how they felt after a training session or after, um, you know, uh, when they wake up in the morning, whatever it may be. Do you have any other strategies for kind of reconnecting people with, um, you know, themselves really? Yeah. So when it comes to nutrition, I'll typically start people off by adding a few things to their diet and observing and asking questions. So what they'll do is they'll track their food with no particular targets. Uh, they're just going to write their food down so I can see what they're eating. And I'll ask them questions and help them, you know, connect what they're eating to things like, you know, their digestion, their mood, their skin, their hair, their nails, uh, their sleep, um, you know, all these different types of things and the things that they crave based on their moods, all these different things. The next level is I will actually give people macronutrient targets. Um, I, I will, uh, from that point, I'll start saying, okay, here's the targets I want you to aim for with your proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. And what I'll do is I'll typically give them, you know, three days uh, in one macro target and another three or four days in another macro target. And it typically, not always, but it typically looks like a lower carb, you know, three days and a higher carb, you know, three or four days. And the reason why I do that, it's not because of the carb cycling or all that stuff. Those are more advanced techniques. Really, it's to get people to get used to eating variety. And variance because one of the 
drawback to counting macronutrients is people get stuck in eating the same foods all the time, which just strengthens another poor relationship to food. So once we do that, once they get good at that, then we start playing with the macros a little bit and I'll show them some results. But then I'll start taking them, I'll start introducing what I call intuitive days. And so I'll say, okay, you know, now that you've been hitting these macronutrient targets for the last, you know, six weeks and everything looks good, I want you twice a week to eat intuitively. Just listen to your body, eat what you think is right, don't judge anything, write it down though, still, tra still write it down and journal it and send it to me. And what I'm trying to do is move them more towards an intuitive way of eating. Now, typically what happens when I first do that is it becomes a cheat day because inevitably they're, they're like, oh, now I'm not tracking. Intuitive day means I'm just going to eat whatever the hell I want or I'm going to eat what I crave. And so when that happens, we have the conversations around that. And sometimes I'll move them back to track, back to uh, hitting macro targets. And then I'll move them back to in intuitive days. And little by little, I have them do more and more intuitive days to the point where, you know, seven days a week, they're eating intuitively, the side effect of which is they're leaner, they're healthier, they're when they know when to eat, you know, to indulge, they know when not to indulge, they feel good doing it, there's no stress involved. I'm obviously giving you a lot of shortcuts right now because this process takes a lot longer than just a month or two. This is over the course of some people, it takes them a year or longer. But the point, the, the, the goal is getting them to that point where they're more of an, they become an intuitive eater. It's no longer a stress. And again, like I said, the side effect is, man, I'm, I'm lean almost on accident. I feel good and I don't really stress out over my nutrition. Um, and that, that's a great place to be because now they're in a spot where they have all the tools necessary. Now, sometimes that means they go back to counting macros because again, sometimes that turns into, you know, where you start to lose awareness and start to eat because you're stressed or because whatever, then they'll go back to the, you know, working with their macros and then back to their, but they have the tools necessary and they feel comfortable doing it. And I, it's a much more long-term approach. And I've had a lot of success with it where clients are doing this for years to where they're like, man, I don't even think about like what I need to eat or how I need to count this protein or that carbs. I kind of eat intuitively and I feel amazing doing it. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's, pretty similar to kind of how we set people up and the approach that we take. Uh, so the, the follow-up that I wanted to ask was, um, I forget where I was going with it now, but the relationship with um, actually cardio, bringing it back to the training side of things um, we talked about, cause you know, the relationship with, with kind of explaining how your body adapts to cardio versus strength training. Uh, a lot of times people seem to have that, that disconnect between, um, you know, wanting to, to do more cardio to burn calories and drop weight. Uh, and then kind of how do you work that in so that they can still maybe see the benefits from a health perspective where they're doing enough um, activity overall, uh, but not too much where they're sending the wrong signal to their body and then having that relationship be a healthy one. So uh, cardio has got real benefits. Um, so I'm not anti-cardio. Um, I'm anti-misuse of cardio, but cardiovascular training has got real benefits uh, for health and longevity. If you're an endurance athlete or you're an athlete that needs stamina, you're going to need to train in some form with cardio, whether it's, uh, you know, the sprint-based training or long-distance type training if, if you need that, that type of endurance. If you're the average person and you just want to be healthy, 
then I try to have people uh, do rather than having structured cardio, unless they really enjoy it, because I like to have people do what they enjoy. So if someone tells me, man, I love getting up and doing 30 minutes on my treadmill every morning, I'm, I'm not going to take it away from them. You know, they love doing it. It's really not bad for them. It's good for them. They're not overdoing it. That's fine. But if someone's like, I want to do cardio because I want to be lean, then what I'll say is instead of doing this structured cardio, why don't we track the amount of steps you take every single day and just try and stay at a certain activity level? For longevity, that's really the ideal way to do it anyway. I mean, if you look again, if you look at the, the world's blue zones, the type of activity that these people do who, you know, they, there's blue zones are areas of the world where people, a disproportionate amount of people live past 100. And uh, there, there's seven of them that they've, that they've identified. And they tried to find what people have in common in these areas and why they live so long. And, you know, when it comes to activity, all of these regions, the people, uh, they engage in, you know, consistent, moderate intensity levels of uh, activity. So they're not doing like marathons and obstacle course racing and crazy stuff. They're just, you know, you know, sailing, you know, in the ocean to catch fish or they're hiking up the hill to, you know, pick berries or they walk everywhere because they don't have a car. Like, so that's what I try and focus on with clients is, you know, let's look at just your daily activity. That way you don't have to worry about the structured cardio. Like let's aim for, you know, 8,000 or 10,000 steps a day. And that will, that will do you more benefit. And it's something that you, it's just part of your day. It's not necessarily a structure. Like, let me take this hour aside from my day to do this exercise or this cardio. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I have, uh, you know, friends or, or family members who have been around me for a while and they've kind of heard me give my, my, you know, whole health and wellness talk and kind of pointed out, it's like the first thing that I always talk about are just getting up and walking and sleep. And they're like, without fail, you mentioned those two, those two things before anything else. Uh, and it's, it's funny how the kind of the perception automatically for most people goes to, you know, an hour of cardio plus restricting food. Um, oftentimes people are ignoring the fact that they're sleeping four hours a night that, um, that they'd get more benefit out of just taking an hour walk each day, or even, you know, some short 10 minute walks multiple times a day to, uh, you know, really start seeing some some benefits from that. Um, so I kind of wanted to wrap things up with a discussion about mindset. And this is something that, you know, is kind of personal to me um, and that we deal with a lot with with our clients. And it's just the mentality. Um, I went through kind of my own journey where, you know, I was chasing that that aesthetic where I wanted to do whatever I could to get abs and and kind of like I, I describe it as like hating myself lean uh, versus loving myself fit. And I kind of went down both paths. And so when I was going down the, you know, chasing abs, you know, it, it never worked until I changed my mindset and came at it from a place of overall health and wellness. I just want to feel better Then all of a sudden, you know, abs were a byproduct of that. Uh, can you talk about kind of the importance of mindset and, and how that plays a role in this whole equation? Oh, it's, it's everything. That's, uh, that's everything right there. If, if, you, if you exercise and eat because you hate the way you look, you know, because it's, if it's motivated by the aesthetic, it's motivated by an insecurity, I'm fat or I'm too skinny or I'm ugly or whatever, 
And, and that's your main motivation. It will motivate you initially to get your butt in the gym and it will motivate you to eat a particular way at first. But the decisions based on hating yourself are many times the ones that do not benefit you in the long term. And sometimes they don't benefit you in the short term. So I'll give you an example. If I, if I'm, you know, tired because I had a stressful day at work and I didn't sleep very good the night before and I'm going to the gym, but I'm motivated because I hate myself and I think I'm lazy and I'm fat and I'm going to hammer myself in the gym because I'm going to punish myself. I'm going to punish my body. And a lot of people do this when they work out. They punish themselves. Now that uh, behavior over and over again is going to result in poor health, which then results in poor aesthetics. So you've lost now. You've now gone backwards uh, in, in terms of changing the way you look. And then it's, a, it's this, self, this kind of cycle. Now I hate myself more and I give up. I, you know, fuck it, I'm not going to do this anymore because well, I can't just sit here hating myself all the time. Now, on the flip side, if you exercise and you eat because you love yourself and you want to care for yourself, like, man, you know what? I really want to take care of myself. Well, if the same scenario, I'm going to the gym and I'm stressed out and I didn't sleep good the night before, I'm going to, I'm going to treat myself a little differently. I'm going to work out in a way that's going to replenish my body, that's going to rejuvenate. Maybe I'm going to do some yoga or maybe I'll go much lighter in my workout. That mentality is going to direct me to make the right decisions. And I like to say this a lot on, on the show. If you chase aesthetics, you will not get health and you will not get aesthetics. You'll get neither. Over time, you may get aesthetics initially, but over time, you're going to lose both. If you chase health, you'll get health and you'll get a great deal of, of aesthetics. And for anybody who debates that, Find me one person who's just got optimal health physically, mentally, and emotionally and tell me that they don't look good. I think the other thing, too, is think about how the robustness of those two different mindsets and approaches, right? I mean, when, when things are difficult or life is stressful, is it going to be a lot easier to maintain these healthy habits and this long-term view on things when you're coming at it from a perspective of, hey, I hate myself, I'm gonna try to see what I can do to fix that, or you say, hey, I'm in a good spot, I'm doing this because I care about myself, and I'm adding this to my life. So when things get really difficult, what's gonna make the, the difference? Absolutely, I mean, I have a personal story for that. Uh, you know, about five or six years ago, somebody very, very close to me uh, got diagnosed with uh, uh, cancer. And it was, uh, um, it was terminal. So it was extremely stressful uh, period of time. She lasted for about a year and a half and finally succumbed to the disease. And I, got, I, you know, I had to watch her deteriorate. During that period of time, this most stressful time of my life, I still uh, made it to the gym almost every single day. Now, it wasn't because I was so focused on my aesthetics. I, didn't, I, I wasn't, at that time, I definitely wasn't going to the gym to build muscle, burn body fat, and look good. I was going to the gym because I, I, want, I needed to take care of myself because if I didn't take care of myself, I couldn't help this person out. And it was a very stressful situation. So my mentality is very, very different. I would walk into the gym and just be like, man, today was very difficult, you know, watching her go with through, what, what she just went through. And I want to be there for her. I need to care for myself so I'm healthy and strong so I can help her out and I need to be able to take care of myself in the meantime. So my, my attitude and the decisions that I made in the gym 
reflected that, and I was consistent. Now, had I, had I just been motivated by looking a particular way, I would have stopped working out. You know, why go to the gym when I'm under all this stress, when I, someone close to me is about to die? Like, I don't really care about those things, therefore I stop working out. And I lose all of the other incredible benefits that that exercise provides. Now, that's an extreme example, but uh, that applies to everything else. I mean, if you're, if you're waiting on motivation based on the hating yourself, You'll either do two things. You'll either become obsessive, which is unhealthy, or you'll go on and off the wagon all the time, which is also unhealthy. Those are really the only two options behind the motivation of hating yourself. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. Um, really powerful stuff there. Um, Brad, did you have any other questions before we sign off here? No, I just want to say... Uh Awesome meeting you, man. Really appreciate your time. This was, this was a great chat, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, ton of takeaways here. Um, you want to give people uh, where they can find you and check out more of your stuff? Uh, yeah, Mind Pump is uh, the podcast uh, I host with my two co-hosts, Justin Andrews and Adam Schaefer. You can find it pretty much anywhere, uh, iTunes, uh and some of the other uh, podcast uh, methods. Uh, you can also find our YouTube. We also have a YouTube channel where we post lots of instructional videos on exercises, techniques, and debates on you know some of the stuff that we covered, for example. Uh, it's Mind Pump TV, or MPTV is our YouTube channel. And then our website is mindpumpmedia.com. Awesome. I really appreciate it. Um, I can say you know firsthand that you guys are putting out just amazing content. Uh, the frequency of the episodes is huge. I mean, I, I take a walk every day and it's pretty much, you know, I always have an episode to listen to, which is great. Um, so I appreciate the work you guys are doing and really thank you for joining us. I appreciate it again. Thank you very much.